for the first tones to be with us from the beginning. Good luck to the world and we go next. Your shadow fell across my lonely room. I touched your golden hair and tasted your perfume. Your eyes were filled with love the way they used to be. Your gentle hand reached out to comfort me. All right, welcome everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. It's great having you all here with me. Uh, it is a Sunday afternoon. I'm drinking coffee. So what does that usually mean? If I'm recording early on a Sunday afternoon, that usually means I'm talking to someone on the other side of the world. And sort of I am now. Uh, I'm talking to you all the way in Birmingham, UK, I believe. Uh you know him, he drummed in the uh, Jacobites, and he's been on the show before talking about the same band. Let's welcome back to the show, Mr. Mark Williams. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me, Rob. That's brilliant. It's great to be back, and I've uh, been waiting a long time to do this one. And uh, yeah, great fun doing the last one. So um, I think this one will be just as much as, much as fun, much fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I will. I'm just going to let everyone know, you know, I have a guest on, and whatever album the guest picks, I have to do. But occasionally, guests pick records that this happens to be one of my all-time favorite records by one of my all-time favorite bands that Mark did pick. So that's just how it works out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's um, an album that, uh, that I got into. Um, I mean, I bought on the release in October 1982. And um, it was a great follow-up to the Black Album, um, <clears throat> which uh, the band recorded uh, two years previously in 1980. And um, yeah, I guess that's the album that got me high, and that's the one we're going to talk about. Yep, and, and I guess I'm the same as you, because I bought it right when it came out in 1982 also. I believe I must have gotten it as an import here, because I was I bought it here in the U.S., in uh, South Florida. And I got... Yeah. But I got... it. Did you, Mark, did you get the original one that had the strawberry that smelled like strawberries? Yeah, in fact, I'm actually holding the record here. I've dug it out and stuff for today. Oh, nice, and, uh, nice. Yeah, I've got it here. And um, yeah, it's got the little strawberry on the pig's head. And um, it's, uh, it doesn't smell anymore, but it was a scratch and sniff cover. I don't know if yours was as well. Right. Yeah, well, 40 years later, I would say if it still smelled like strawberries, that would be amazing. But, uh, yeah. I've got it in the original um, King film and with a, a cover over it. And I've just uh, tried to separate them, but I don't think it smells anymore. I think okay. it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. All right. So, like me, you were a, a fan of The Damned already. But this album still, I mean, I just still, I always come back to it as being, man, this is... And, and it's funny, um, I, I read something recently, Mark, that was pretty interesting. Someone positing the fact that really, at the time, there was like a concerted effort by a lot of uh, things in the United States, by the, by the press and by the radio, to kind of put 
punk down and put the new wave down and like to not. And they're saying uh, they were saying by rights, the dam should have been huge in the U.S. They should have been like like a British, you know, just like the U.S. loves their bands from Great Britain, their rock bands. They should have been like that. They should have been an album and it should have been like a huge classic rock, you know, uh, band from the U.K., you know. That that broke out in the U.S. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they should they should have had the accolades in the U.S. But I think the problem with the band was they had a lot of problems with labels and management. Um, in especially in between those years of like '79 to '82, and um, I mean they recorded I like for Chizik uh, records in '79 to '82. Then they had like that one single deal with Nems in '81, and then they left. Nems went bankrupt. And um, then they went to sign to bronze for strawberries in '82. So, you know, there was a, a, a lot of the, a lot of time there was a lot of inconsistency with label support as well to give the band, you know, that promotion abroad. Especially, I think they, they did okay in Europe. I think um, mainly Spain and Germany. But um, yeah, the US, it's uh, it's a shame that uh, it didn't really happen as much as it should have done for them. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. And then and and listening to it, you see, you say, wow. How would it not? Because it's just like, it's like really, it, it's really hard rocking, but it's just got these great songs, great songwriting. And uh, it's funny, you read, I'm sure you know, I just read recently that the album's working title was originally Strawberries for Pigs. And uh, did you read about how they came about calling it that? Yeah, apparently what it was was um, the band were, they felt they were putting out such good music all the time and it was so unappreciated. So the strawberries was the music, which is a tasty sort of like sweet thing. And I think the the, 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 the reference to pigs was like, it just wasn't being appreciated out there and stuff. And that's no insult to pigs because they're very intelligent animals. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think that, that, that's where the, the um, where the, the strawberries to pigs comes from, I think. Um, I think you might, have you got uh, another story on it? Yeah, yeah, that uh, that actually they were doing a gig and Dave Damien just like they were playing new material and the crowd just wanted to hear like Neat 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 and New Rose and they, they just didn't didn't care about any new music. So at one point he turned and said, it's like giving strawberries to a fucking pig, <laughs> this gig. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the two analogies that we just spoke about, they're pretty similar. I think that's, that's right, yeah. It's just that they, they felt they were doing quite, especially on this album, you know, fairly polished pop music. And um, they'd moved away from the darker side of the Black album. And this album definitely has more of a poppy feel. It's a little bit more up-tempo. Um, the production is a little bit lighter than the Black album as well. Um, that's not to sort of detract from the fact that it's still a great production. Um, but it's definitely got that more upbeat, especially a lot of the drumming on it as well. It's like uh, rap's doing a lot of like... Um, almost like Motown beats as well. There's definitely that element of, um, you know, I would imagine a way I see it, like a, the band, you know, like a lighter stage of their career in a kind of a way. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, and I guess this was uh, when Roman Jug came into the pictures uh, too. He started, he plays uh, keyboard on this. And then eventually Captain Sensible, because at this time Captain Sensible was sort of becoming a British pop star almost in his own right, right? Yeah, that's why I was going to touch on this. Yeah, um, 82 was a, a funny year for Dan because obviously he, he had a, a big hit single with Happy Talk. Happy Talk, keep talking, Happy Talk. Talk about things you like to do. 
got to have a dream If you don't have a dream How you gonna have a dream come true? I think in, in a lot of Europe as well. Um, and, and the album that, that followed wasn't actually that bad, but there was there was worries that it, there was worries within the band that it would interfere with with the band themselves. But Spencer has, has always said that um, he never wanted to um, to have his solo career interfere with the band's career. And if anything, um, it did actually raise the profile of the band a little bit because of, he would always mention that he was in. The, even when he was doing TV stuff for Happy Talk and, and the follow-up single was, uh, was um, he would always like talk about the band and, you know, the band and whatever. So it did, I mean, the album reached number 15 um, in October 82, so it was the highest charting album they've had. Um, so indirectly, I think the, the solo career probably helped a little bit, but it, but it also hindered, but there's a few things we'll talk about as we go on, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, but one thing can't be denied is his playing on this album, especially, is just like lights out on fire. I mean, he's this is I feel like this is when he came into his own as just this really great guitar player because that's the thing he started out he was the he was the bass player in the dam and then he switched to guitar but he ended up becoming this like fantastic rock guitar player. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Um, always un- very underrated. Um, and again, you know, it's just that going back to that strawberry fatigue thing. It's like, you know, no one could really, you know, nobody wanted to say that Sensible was a great, which he is a great guitarist. And um, I think because the, the band was so, so much considered like, you know, they were their own worst enemies, like they, they sort of like press and whatever, you know, considered them almost a joke band. But they weren't, they were great musicians. And um, and as you say, sensible definitely uh, the guitarist was, you know, phenomenal and and still is a phenomenal guitarist. And um, you know, he's playing especially on this album, um, which we'll talk about obviously as we go through. You know, he's, he's great. You know, and, and as a songwriter as well, very very underrated. Yep, and for sure. And and one thing I don't, I just wanted to mention before we start listening, which I think I had known this before, but I maybe I forgot and I read it again, was that. Robert Fripp uh, of King Crimson joined the damn in the studio while they were recording this. It ended up he he, uh, he recorded a couple things with them, and it ended up they, nothing actually made the album. But he also ended up joining them on stage a few uh, for a few songs around this time at the Hammersmith Odeon. So it's like Robert Fripp was in this whole. <laughs> <laughs> was in this whole <laughs> circle, which is blows my mind. Yeah, that's right. Of course, King Crimson, uh, Robert Fripp, uh, you know, originated. But yeah, Robert Fripp, he, um, they, um, Mike, there's a couple, I've got a book here, um, it's the, you probably have it already. It's the, uh, it was the official biography of the dam written by Carol Clerk, you know, in yes. 1987 called Life at the End of the Tunnel. I just wanted to pick up on a couple of quotes, actually, because you mentioned, um, Robert Fritt and uh, yeah, so he actually they actually got together, tried to get a few licks we captured on a song called Fun Factory. And it was a potential single, apparently, for Bronze, um, that was never released. And he also, you know, joined the dam live on stage as well. 
the single was actually released uh, a lot later, which I do have a copy of Red Vinyl, 12 inch version of this, uh, this record. Um, and it did come out on a small label um, about, about 2006, 2007, possibly. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was the, that was the song. It was Fun Factory, yeah. 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 Um, I've got a feeling it might, it might have even come out on Sensible um, Celtic label. I, I could be wrong on that because yeah, when he, when he, after he left the uh, A&M Records, after the, when he was doing all the, the A&M stuff, I guess that uh, um, he did some stuff on a, a label called Deltic. And um, I think um, that record might have come out. So whether he got the rights to it or whatever from Bronze, I'm not sure. But yeah, that was a potential single in 92, yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's get into the record. Uh, like I said, I, 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 I remember distinctly going out, getting this record, bringing it home, putting it on my turntable. And the first so- song is Ignite, this like just great rocker, high energy, so great. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of the opening track, Ignite. <laughs> So great, so great, right? Uh, uh, yeah, and a, you know, a classic opening song for the album. Um, again, the interpretation of the lyrics is is anybody's really. I mean, it, it could be it could be them going on stage and igniting. It could be someone an arsonist. You know, Right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your your views are on that, Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, I always thought of it as just like specifically a song written to be an opener. And I, I've seen them a couple times where they did open with this song and it's a great opener. So I think it's sort of like that. You know, Twilight comes, the mood's complete, going to hit the street, grab some of that nighttime beat. So I, I think it's just meant to be this like, you know, opening song coming out and, and hitting it hard and, and uh, opening. Exactly. I think that, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, but Ignite is just the start. It's this like the fire to start the album yeah that, that's a, that's a great uh, yeah that, 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 that makes perfect sense <laughs> to me yeah definitely it tracks it tracks now you know one thing I I, I can't remember if we talked about this to you on the on the Black Album, but you're a drummer, obviously. What did what is your opinion of Ratscabies? Because because I I always loved Ratscabies. I loved his style. He's definitely more of a Keith Moon. I, I think he was a big Keith Moon fan, and he's more of a loose you know a loose type drummer that will do a lot of fills and a lot of stuff, but but make it all work. Is that kind of something that you appreciated like as a drummer? Is that something you were drawn to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you can, as a drummer, you can take influences like Jet Black and Stranglers is probably one of my other big um, influences.
rap, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, even though I don't play anything like rap, I play probably more like a Clem Burke sort of power poppy type. But whereas, you know, I, I do see that, but I see that sort of side in, in, in rap as well, uh, in, in, his, in his style. Um, but, um, you know, rap's a good all-rounder. I think he's not just, you know, a meat and potatoes. He can adapt to a lot of different styles of music, and I think he's done that over the years with the band. And also out of the band as well when he's played with other people as well. So I, I, I think I, I rate him very highly, yeah, definitely, as a drummer, yeah. Yeah. And someone I, I would take an influence on. I, I always, I, I think of him as being the kind of drummer, very much like Keith Moon, is that someone that is perfect for the band that he's in, but not necessarily like, I playing in a band, a lot of times you would hate to be in a band with a drummer like that because they'd be all over the place and it'd be too wild. But it's like sometimes the bands just fit in perfectly with the band and, and uh, the, the the drummer. And I feel like that was the case with uh, with Ratscavies. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that there is definitely um, um, a connection between Moon and and, and Scabies, Definitely, um, I think with with um, with with Scabies, though, I think he was more in, uh, more of a, an in control drummer as such, whereas like. Where Mooney was a lot more, um, a lot more freeform in a kind of a way, a bit like uh, Ginger Baker possibly or something. But uh, you know, I think that rap sort of held held it down. I'm mean, not saying that Mooney didn't hold it down because I love Mooney's drumming and it's like one of the source. It really is, and how it worked with the Who, but somehow it did um, right. to make those those fantastic uh, songs. But yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely, I think rap's probably a little bit more, a bit more controlled. Okay, except maybe when he's setting fire to his drum set, maybe that's not as controlled. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that, that's the going thing there. You've got to set fire to the cymbals, definitely, yeah. <laughs> All right, so the second song, it was released as a single. Uh, it's about the fall yeah. of uh, Berlin during World War II, set to a jaunty piano riff. Let's listen to a little bit of General. So basically, much in the spirit of like war pigs or something, it basically an, an anti-war song. Only the wounded remain. The the generals have all left the game with no will to fight. They'll fade with the light. There's nobody left they can blame. That's one one thing, uh, Mark, that I've always appreciated about the Damned is even though they're a punk band through and through, a lot of their sentiments in their songs could be hippie-ish very 60s hippie-ish type you know that ideals yeah i think i think that's a good point actually um yeah definitely i mean the, the influences from the band have always probably mainly come from the 60s though so um and, and they're of the age where they would have grown up um 
you know, listening to more more of the 60s protest songs that I guess like, miss the like 60s protest songs. So it's, it's kind of inevitable that would creep into the song right into a degree. And especially, obviously, when this album was recorded, as you well know, um, you know, there was a 1982, there was a, a, a thing about the Cold War was still very sort of like there was nuclear we could be under a nuclear attack and we'd have to hide under a table, paint the house outside of the, the houses white. And there was, yeah, so there, there was still, a, there was a lot of, you know, protests and survive. There was a, there was a lot of um, worry and concern around the time, around this, around this time, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were, I mean, you probably, I think me and you, Mark, are around the same age. You remember, because I remember, do you remember in school, like, I remember we had these little handbooks about what to do if there was, like, a nuclear attack, like, what, and, yeah, like you yeah. said, the hiding under the desk. I actually remember doing that. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, I, I left school in that used to, but uh, I, I, I definitely remember, like, a lot of the propaganda and stuff around that time, sort of, like, you know, in case there is an attack, and we used to have like little public information films on on a on the BBC and stuff, and you know, it would be like a very like basic cartoon as if and and like a house, and if uh, if something came down from the, the sky or something, this is what you should do. I mean, how hiding under a table would ever have sort of like protected you? Yeah. And by painting the outside <laughs> of the house white, exactly. apparently to reflect the radiation from the bomb. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember one thing. One thing I remember specifically that I never forgot about in the pamphlet. It said many people will, of course, die, but some people will survive, <laughs> and then they're telling you what to do after. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, luckily it never came to. I mean, it didn't come to anything, and um, right. You know. So you know. But it, it was. It was a. It was a time where people were quite concerned. Um. You know. The early, early, early 80s, 80, 80, 80, 81, 82, you know, right through, mainly most of the 80s, I would have thought, really, yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I just want to point, just quickly, uh, Rob, i just point out that this was also released as a single in the UK, and uh, it was a different version. So, Famous Dozen Girls, which we'll come to in a bit, that was a single as well. Um, that was a different, but they were both different re-recorded versions of the singles. So. Oh, really? I didn't realise that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realise until I bought like a, um, uh, you might have it called Damn But Not Forgotten, and it's basically the the stuff that was off, a lot of stuff that, that sort of like um, was from 82, really, and, and, and a bit of like, a, kind of a couple of outtakes from the, the Friday the 13th EP. It came out about 1985, had a pink cover with a band on it, and um yeah, there's two different. So I think the single, because obviously the singles came out before the album. So General and Dozen Girls came out obviously before the album in October of the of '82. So yeah, different versions, but yeah. Ah, okay, okay, nice. Um, all right, so now we get uh, the third song. Now, Stranger on the Town is always like an epic monster of a song. This, this, I would, I, I have said before that it's one of my all-time favorite damn songs, and it's also it's kind of an outlier because in a lot of ways it really doesn't even sound like the Damned, but it's just such a good song. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Oh, so let's listen to a little bit of Stranger on the Town.
uh, just like you were saying before, like the Motown, like drums and, and the soul and, and the, those horns. And it's just, this is one yeah. of those songs where, you know, in the eighties, they started doing on the American radio, they called it album AOR album oriented. And if, and if some DJs had just been brave and just played this song, you know, just, just an album cut from and played it. I, I could imagine this song becoming like a huge hit. You know, just because it's so good and so catchy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm quite surprised. It's, I mean, I was quite surprised General was a single over this, really. But um, yeah, it's made the, the, the main reason I'd imagine it wasn't a single because it's quite long. I think quite long. I think it runs in about four and a half minutes. But um, but it's, it's a great track and um, it's a Vanian uh, composition. Even though, as we know, that the band the, the songs are all credited to all band members, but. I think primarily it's, uh, it's probably one of Dave. Uh, um, okay, okay. One of his sort of like, um, especially on this album, it's, it's, it's like his his massive. It's like not wouldn't say it's his curtain call or anything, but um, right. <laughs> it's like his sort of, it's, 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 it's his statement on the album. Um, lyrically, I mean, "Stranger in the Town" for me, um, I, I I would have said this reflects the band, or if not Dave's um, view of how how the band felt strange. They never got, they were always getting, as we said before, I think it's a link on from the strawberries thing. You know, the, everyone was, a lot of people, journalists especially, were always um, indifferent to the band. You know, they were sort of mocked as a joke band. And I think that's why, I think I, I, that's how I read into this song, but I, I might be, you might have a different point of view on that one. No, no, I, I think you're right on the nose because it, it it's like an outsider song. That's what it's about. It, it's about an outsider yeah. coming in, you know, like a stranger on a town. And yeah, that was the damned. The damned were outsiders in, in anything. And, you know, in like rock music and the, you, in the United States, they were just like the ultimate yeah. outsiders. And that's Dave, when you think about it, that's Dave uh, Vanian too. I mean, the fact that he was so, you know, different and he, and he always, you know, he dressed like, uh, he was like the original goth you could say in a way you know so he's he's always been kind of the outsider yeah yeah i think that's right i think and i think that's what the song um reflects on but as you said like you know a great arranged song you know the brass is perfect on it and uh, the band is um in 1984 they did like a little uh bbc radio session before they played a, a gig at brockwell park in london and um they do a version of this on that. It's available on a couple of CDs. I, ma- I remember actually taping it live off the radio when it was on. And uh, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal version. Oh, I-, I would love to hear that. Yeah, 80, I think they were, yeah, 84, I think it was. That mid-84, April, May 84. And um, they did this, uh, I think they did uh, Smash It Up. And they did uh, The Limit Club, which was uh, the song that was... Uh, they wrote about Malcolm Owen from the roots who passed away. But um, yeah, they did a great version. And like you say, it's got that Motown beat, it's got a lot of swing to it, and it's just a great song. And especially got that bridge in the middle when it raises up, and then it goes higher as well. Um, and Banyan's vocals on this are great as well. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously that's always, for me, it, the the band always began and end with him, with Dave Banyan. No one else really sang like him. He had his own 
unique uh, delivery, and, and I always loved it. He's like one of my all-time favorite uh, rock singers. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I got a quick question before we go to the next song, Dozen Girls. There's a line in here where he says, "I always thought it was you uh, turn me out, can't keep me down." But when I look at the lyric, it says, "You uh, turf me out." Is that some kind of British slang that I don't know about? Because I never heard of that. You turf me out. You know, <laughs> I've, I've just got the insert from the sleeve and I'm just trying to look at that now. Um, turf out means um, to be thrown out almost. I suppose it's a British term. To, so if you turf somebody out, you throw somebody out. Okay, so it is, yeah, because I, I I was wondering if it was just a mistake, if they meant the right turn and they wrote turf. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been a funny mistake on the inside of the sleeve, I guess, but it's, cause it's such a similar word, turf, to turf out or to turn out. Yeah, it's... Uh, to, to turn somebody away or throw somebody, push somebody away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, nice, nice. All right, so uh, a dozen girls. We got uh, a, another. This was the other one released as a single, and um, yeah. it's about a, a gigolo. A typical damned sense of humor, you know, in this one, which is obviously another appealing thing. I think why all of damned fans love the damned is because they have such a great sense of humor and, and never, no matter how, you know, serious they were, they never were. They, they never took themselves too seriously, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of dozen girls. Yeah, just a just a great, a really fun song with really great riff, like the a guitar riff uh, in the beginning of it, and the riffs that uh, Captain Sensible does is just great. Yeah, I mean, just another classic <clears throat> pop record. I can see why this was chosen as a single. Um, the singles are slightly this one, this version on the album is slightly more polished. The single version is a bit rougher, if I remember correctly, should I say? Um, but yeah, you say I, I was looking at the lyrics a bit earlier, and I was trying to sort of imagine. Who, who it would be directed to. Um, someone obviously wears thermal underwear. Um, so that's obviously the <laughs> That was the one thing I could never figure out. <laughs> I just think it's just something that rhymes, I guess. You know. yeah. but I, I was trying to think that it was about a pop star at the time and uh, around 81, 82 and stuff. And I just can't think who it might be or who it's about or whether it's about you know, someone who's been written about a band member or another band member. But yeah, it doesn't go. It's a great pop record. Got a great little bridge at the end as well. But when it rises up and stuff. And um, this one's another one, I think, that had some, um, uh, I think it's had brass on the single as well, but it doesn't have it on the album. So at the end, when the, when the, when the, um, towards the end of the song, when the, the chords keep rising up and stuff, there was like a, a brass 
sort of like addition to the to that part to oh, okay, accentuate. Okay. But I don't think it's it's obviously not on the album version. So, um, but yeah. So, but again, a great record. I can totally see why it was. Uh, Single. But I'd love to know who it's written about and who it's directed. Uh, <laughs> well, I always thought it could have been like some someone like uh, Mick Jagger or someone like that. You know, uh, possibly yeah. someone like that. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the uh, the thermal underwear, isn't it? Really, that you've got to sort of. That's the clue. That's the clue. <laughs> that's that... the clue that we're not going to figure out. We're not going to figure out. One of the, if we ever <laughs> see uh, the the uh, Captain or Dave in person, maybe, maybe we'll get it from them. But we're not going to figure it out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I bet even then they wouldn't tell us. Probably not. <laughs> or, yeah, they just say something. Uh, the captain would say something stupid, and uh, <laughs> or <laughs> or uh, legitimately not remember at all. Could be that also, right? <laughs> oh, well, that's always a good answer. Is yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> the dog, uh, interesting, inspired by a character in uh, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Uh, Claudia, who was Claudia, and that's uh, it, it was a little girl, I guess, who, who was a vampire. And I feel like in this song, which is kind of like an epic song on the record, it's a really, it's like seven, uh, almost seven and a half minutes long. And I feel like Dave was fascinated by the idea of uh, an eternally young person, you know, like a young person, a vampire that's never going to age. And uh, but it, it, it's cool. I just think it's a really cool, epic song. We'll just let's do a little bit of the dog. child with eyes burning bright she extends her arms for an embrace a tiny smile her ruby lips on a doll-like face the danger's a mystery here and she invites you to hold her near a mirrored image could not be linked to a woman's mind so sharp and so distant Like a swimmer in a secret sea Undecayed for all eternity Claudia Better stay away from Claudia The suckiness of her lips As she bends low to kiss A tiny seductress <laughs> I love it. Yeah, just I, I love when they get in this like when he gets in this like croony, croony, loungy, you know, vibe. It's it's really great. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think this is probably one of the out one of the tracks on the album that is in fact probably the only track on Strawberries that sort of sounds a little bit like a leftover from the Black Album. That sort of gothy sort of feel. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially the whole end of it. It's got a very curtain callish like psychedelic outro to it which is similar to curtain call yeah i guess so yeah and um obviously a dive song as you you know unmistakably a dive song right and you know as, as, as you say like that well you know definitely um not obviously left off the black album um another interesting thing about this song that it's rarely performed live either and i think the the last time you're probably aware of when they did this um, Night of a Thousand Vampires in London. Yes, and it was um, they were doing like it was it was uh, with uh, in conjunction with the Hammer Horror 
um, the Hammer, sorry, the Hammer Movie um, Company, and they chose different songs from that only reflected the darker sides of the horror sort of genre. This was one of the songs I performed live, and um, I got a DVD, and they, it, it, it played really well. And looking back, it's quite quite surprising it wasn't played more live, but. I guess it's probably too much of a laid back song to play live. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right because but but yeah, listening to it now I I, I could picture them doing it live and playing it and and I would want to see that. So, but yeah, you know, yeah, that's how it is. Maybe they just stuck with more with the up tempo uh numbers from the uh from the album. But I'm glad you cleared up the um the story because I was a bit I, I, I wasn't really clear on what the what what the story is about, but you know, now I know. So that's the I that's great, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> better stay away from forward here. Yeah. There you go. That's it. The um, school of Google is a great thing. You could pretty much find out anything oh, you yeah. want to know. <laughs> Um, all right, Gun Fury. Again, we got this. Uh, again, they're sort of in the you know the the hippie-ish sort of anti you know anti gun anti that, but just a really uh, another really catchy, really great riff from uh, the captain. Uh, let's listen to Gun Fury, Riot Forces. <laughs> I love the line. They're they're glad to be your friend. They hate the public. They defend. They call the shots from start to end. <laughs> I was just following the lyrics through on that actually, and yeah, I was just gonna gonna make a remark about that. What a great line that is. It is. Um, very very unusual um, time signature on this as well, which is really good for the well, for, for the band, I guess. But um, that riff at the start is great, and. Yeah, I mean, again, just the, you know, very sort of sixty sounding sort of pop record, you know, sort of like, which I think that the whole of this, a lot of this album seems to, it definitely seems lighter than, as I said before, lighter than the Black album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And it's funny because it's, to me, it's great. But I was reading reviews of the time and it wasn't necessarily reviewed great. A lot of reviews panned it and gave it a terrible view. And I guess because they were expecting uh, machine gun etiquette and that type of band and they just didn't know what to make of this. Well, that, that's the thing about those trilogy of albums, um, you know, Machine Gun, Black Album and Strawberries. They're three different albums, but they're three really good different albums from a band that that should that, that I would imagine journalists should have appreciated more at the time. But it's like you say, you know, you people get um an idea of like, oh, I want the band to sound like this. 
So Dan's always said about the idea of punk was not it was breaking the barriers, and that that's how they they that that's what they termed with the Black Album, and that's how they they, they termed that 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 with the with Strawberries. It's always a case of sort of like what you need to do is basically do something what punk was to do something different and that's what they did I think even though it might have leanings back to the 60s to a degree but I think they sort of brought that into the 80s but not sounding 80s and I think going back I think that's why this album 40 years later still sounds refreshingly good and if you listen to a lot of perhaps like Duran Duran albums or Spandau Valley albums they do sound very stuck in that period whereas when you listen to Strawberries it's it's definitely got in a time of its own because they took influences, clearly took influences from another period as well. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, that I I totally 100% agree with you because to me, that's always the beauty. That's what I love about punk is that you could do whatever the fuck you want to do. You take your influences and you yeah. do whatever you want and, and you don't worry about is it like this or is it punk enough or that? And that's what I love about the damned is because they never cared about any of that. They just made whatever kind of song they wanted to do. Like this next one, the, the pleasure in the pain. They wanted to do a little piano. It's like a Johnny piano ditty about sadomasochism, which is something that they would flirt, you know, they flirt with writing about a lot. Yeah, one of my favorite tracks on the album it's uh, yeah a Paul Gray track and uh, we'll talk about it yeah uh, I guess in a minute yeah yep pleasure and the pain mentioned Paul Gray so this is a Paul Gray song yeah absolutely yeah um the thing about this song is like it's a bit of a crux in the album because um Rat and Paul weren't getting on too well again I'm quoting because I don't want any any problems from any lawsuits or anything <laughs> you but don't I want to get quoting, sued by Rat Scabie's lawyer <laughs> I am quoting from the Carol Clark book from 1987 and apparently what happened was was Paul's um, girlfriend managed to get them. Well, was was pretty much um, in part in getting them the deal with uh, Bronze Records. And what happened was, I think because Rat's dad was managing the band. I, I won't go on too much about it, but I think her name was Linda, and uh, she managed to sort of like she knew some A R guys at Bronze Records. And I think Rat wasn't too happy about the fact that uh, she'd sort of helped get the deal, and he, he hasn't spoken too kindly about her since. But they got the deal with Bronze Records. So anyway, when they were recording Pleasure and the Pain, apparently Rat had been to the pub and came, come back and had said that, like, that's not going on my album. And um, Paul had said, like, well, 
I've sent you demos and stuff and whatever, so what's the problem? And then he sort of like said like, oh, it's a poxy love song. And then a fight broke out and um, he hit Paul Gray and knocked him out. Um, this is all over this song. And in a kind of way, <laughs> this is like the catalyst. This is a kind of the catalyst to sort of like um, the, the damn, as we know it, the, the classic 79 to 82 sort of lineup breaking up. And even Sensible says like, he said like his, uh, his friendship with Rat after that distinctively called. So, wow. hey. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's something, huh? Over well, you know, bands are you know, Mark, you know bands are a very uh, tentative things. Things could go awry at, at any moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially when when girlfriends are involved sometimes. <laughs> yeah, cuz like I mean it, even in the book he quotes uh, you know, the the girl in Spinal Tap, he quotes like Paul Gray's girlfriend Linda as being like the, you know, the yeah, girlfriend oh, yeah. in Spinal oh, Tap. Yes. <laughs> So I, I I don't I don't know and it's a shame but um, hey you know it's like it's an interesting story and but it's a great song you know going back to the song itself like it's a great song but I say it's a, a Paul Gray song and um, yeah yeah but then again there's a, a bit of history behind it and stuff oh yeah, there, yeah. It, it's a little bit of an outlier to the record but not really I mean it definitely sounds like something and Dave Banyan you know sounds great on it so it's uh yeah it's great I love that song. And all right, so now we go into Life Goes On, which there's yeah. a lot to unpack about this song, I, I feel like. But let's maybe we should listen to it first and then we'll uh, and then we'll talk about it. Let's listen to a little bit of Life Goes On. Okay, so Mark, as I said, a whole bunch to unpack about this song. First of all, you got Captain Sensible t- uh, taking the lead vocals on this one, which is great. Yeah. All right, but we have to talk about all right the the riff first of all, the riff. Now, uh, the Nirvana riff. Well, that's it. All right, but I don't know if you're the same as me. <laughs> when that whole thing came out with Nirvana, "Come as You Are," which was in 1992. <laughs> And then everyone yeah. said, oh, that's Killing Joke's 80s. <laughs> you know, and they ended up back in the yeah. lawsuit 80s. I said, 
No, that's Life Goes On. <laughs> because I, yeah. it was a year before that, that Life Goes On was on. And it's all three of those are the same riff. And I'm going to place a little bit of all of them underneath so people could hear. But yeah, so uh, I mean, and obviously at the end of the day, no one owns, you know, whatever this, this riff or but maybe they, they do but it is fair to say well which one came first yeah it's a it's a kind of a sort of like anything you're playing guitar. it's just that little hammer on do 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 and it can be it can be slightly sort of like um arranged differently to sound like a little bit different to the one before it but i don't see that it's like i mean yeah i, I do remember all the all the the controversy about right. that definitely yeah and uh i, I was quite thought yeah, I thought life goes on and stuff, and then 80s, Killing Joke, as you say, and stuff. And then, of course, Nirvana were the biggest band in the world in 92 and whatever. But, yeah, it, it's it's a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> But also, what, what I really love about this is that I feel like this song is sort of an answer to the nihilistic doom and gloom of, that a lot of post-punk had at the time. You know, you're thinking like uh, Joy Division and things like that. In that, it's a really mm. uplifting song. You know, life goes on. If you think it's all gone wrong, go go on. But always remember, yeah. this is the happiest day of your life. You know, it, it's really, even if maybe he's sort of playing on that a little because it's, the song maybe does sound a little dark, but he's singing these uh, uplifting, you know, this uplifting lyrics. But I don't know. What, uh, what do you think? I, I, I agree, really. I mean, I think, again, this is one of two solo, well, not solo, but two sensible songs on the app called sort of pretty much so sensible songs on the album and this could have fitted easily onto his women and captain's first album in in 82 the same right. year as this um i think um yeah I, I agree yeah it is an uplifting song and whatever there's there is that like uh and as and as the years move along i can see now there's something wrong uh because life is for always take your time who cares what fools say i don't mind because this is my day i live it my way um, today, there's just today. So yeah, yeah. The, 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 I, love little, I, I love that little bit in the middle as well. You know, that's a nice little bit. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I've got to say, in, in all fairness, it is probably one of the more throwaway songs on the album, um, which is not not to say it's not a bad song, but I think um, it could have easily fitted on on like his solo. And that that's the interesting the interesting parallel between this album and the sensible women and captains first i think it was called yeah. um is that you got to sort of like judge you know what songs was he going to keep for his solo album what what songs was he going to give to the well, right, gonna right. sort of give to the damned i mean you know apart from obviously happy talk which is a cover from south pacific but you know you've got this here as well which is it seems like this would be would be a leftover from his solo album, in my mind. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see what you're saying about that. And it's funny. And it's also like, how, even though you said he said, well, he didn't want his solo thing to get in the way of the damn, but how could you not? Because like he said, mm. you're going to have to pick and choose, you know, what what is going to be a damn song and what's going to be your song on your solo record. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then again, putting it forward and, and then giving it to the band and stuff and putting it towards Strawberries. Yeah. It's like the band, and you, you know, you, you've got to understand as well that the, 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 the solo album came out before Strawberries, so they the band must have been aware of the material. Whether they listened to uh, whether they listened to Women and Captains first, I don't know, but but the fact that Strawberries came out after his solo album as well, so 
You know, was it a leftover? I don't right, know. Right, right, right. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right, so now we get uh, Bad Time for Bonzo, which I don't know. I guess people know, but, you know, we're older, so maybe younger people wouldn't know that uh, Ronald Reagan was in a film called A Bad Time for Bonzo. And so that's yeah. Bad Time for Bonzo. And uh, let's listen to a little bit. But just, just a great, really fun song, I think, uh, Bad Time for Bonzo. Just some really good, uh, the lyrics are really clever, some really good digs against Reagan because at this time, you got to remember, especially punk bands and stuff, Reagan was like the, you know, he was the target. You know, you could you could say an easy target because he it ended up and, and, and really ended up in hindsight, you see, he really did screw everything up and fucked everything up. And still today, you could blame a lot of things the way things are now on uh, Ronald Reagan. But um, Dead Kennedys were singing about him and the Ramones song, uh, Bonzo Goes to Pittsburgh, came out uh, a little later in 1985. So yeah, so this is not unusual that they're uh, taking a, a little jab at, uh, at Reagan. And I think he also had like a big relationship with uh, our Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, yep, yep. who was uh, not very liked as such. But, um, you know, by, by I'm not going to get um, politically involved in this conversation, right. but, um, but she wasn't, um, by some people, she wasn't very liked, shall we yes. say. And um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, and, and like she was, she was, I think she was. There was pictures of her and him together. But again, from 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 like you say, from from an, an American point of view, obviously the you know whether English people would have like or British people should I say would have like uh, picked up on it. I mean, I I I knew about the the Hollywood Ronald Reagan. You know, I'd seen the black and white films. Well, they weren't very good, were they? No, really? no, horrible. <laughs> and of course, Bonzo was the monkey, wasn't yes. he? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's the but it's poor old Bonzo is getting a bad time because it's the you know it's the monkey you know but, but not the monkey as such but um I think that's the, the, the that's the the great twist in the song as well like you yes. know and it's a, 
And Ramones used Bonzo, uh, Bonzo goes to Bitburg, like you say, uh, Bad Time of Bonzo, The Damned here in 82, sort of speaking about the same thing as well. And again, um, going back to probably, you know, like Generals, um, a little bit of Gun Fury, uh, right? Not so much, well, probably not so much that one, but Generals. Generals, right. Um, and, you know, a bit of a, you know, an anti-war sort of like sentiment coming through here as yeah, well. Yeah, right, for sure. Which is which is funny. Like here, it, it was fine with the damned. When the Ramones did it, famously, Johnny Ramone, uh, famously very uh, conservative right wing, he didn't like it. He didn't, They even had to change the name of it, uh, the song to uh, My Brain is Hanging Upside Down. Uh, because he did oh, not, course, yeah, yeah, he did not like them making fun of his hero Ronald Reagan. <laughs> that's right. Yes, right. I seem to remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah course. Which is that's uh, that's really funny. That's a whole nother. It's a whole nother story. A whole nother band story. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. But generally, yeah. I mean, again, like you know, um, third, uh, third to, to two, three songs from the end and stuff. The throne, you know, that, that great rocker in like again, afterlife goes on and. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's just a nice one to sort of get back into, and then obviously we're into uh, under the floor again. I guess. Oh yeah, under the floor again. Um, great. I, I just real quick. I, I just before we finish with uh, ben, uh, a bad time for Bonzo. It also it's such yeah. a good catchy song, and it reminds me because we haven't mentioned that they did the uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Well, you mentioned it, the Friday the Thirteenth EP, but they had uh, yeah. uh, Disco Man was a big song on there, and this sort of to me is similar to that, similar to Disco Man, because also really clever fun song that's also a really fun song yeah to play take my hand disco man are you just a one night stand have some fun jump the gun but what's left when it's all done but who are you taking for a ride disco man better to run or else to hide disco yeah that, that was actually and that's why uh, yeah I thought it was a bit the, the, the great thing about the Friday the 13th EP was it like it's sort of like it was that that sort of pinnacle of an in 81 that linked the black album strawberries it was almost like like a mini album of what was to come yeah. in a kind of way it was a mixture of both right. both albums really yeah yeah disco man could have disco man could have fitted on easily on strawberries whereas Citadel could have fitted on the black yes, album it's exactly, almost like exactly those four, yeah those four tracks I mean and that's the but the, the the annoying thing we didn't get an album in 1981. We all we got was that EP. But I mean, it was like such a yeah, it was such a great EP. Just those four songs, and um, as I said, like the Limit Club as well. And one of my favourite songs, uh, you know, um, was uh, Billy Bad Broy Breaks. Ah, okay, okay. That was the the, the Paul Gray song. Which was you know, again great baseline and stuff, but yeah, the the thing with that that album, uh, that that's that sorry that four track EP was like I say, Rob, it was like a great sort of like anchor between these two. You know, it's 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 when you start to discuss it like as we're doing now, you know, you can see so much, so many great things, and you know how they were working from one thing to another. Oh yeah, yeah, and especially it's a good that's a good segue into this song under the floor again, which again. Also, a different goes in a whole different uh, area direction. Just a great. Uh, let's listen to it a little bit, then we'll discuss under the floor again.
very like 60-ish. You have the sitar going on there, uh, which is great. But yeah. I, I didn't even I didn't get to it yet. But I'll play with some at the end. At the end, it sort of slows down, and then the captain's solo. It's like it's like Pink Floyd. It's oh. like uh, a David Gilmore, well, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that as well. I mean, that's what's great about this song. I mean, I think it's one of their sort of like deep cuts that no one really gets to talk about or listen to. It's a classic band song. Again, never really. I don't think ever played. Well, might have been might have been played live. But um, a great, great song. Um, massive sixties sort of sounding album. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, song. Um, and like you said, the refrain at the end from Sensible. It's just like, it's it's like brilliant. It's, yeah, yeah, totally. It's goosebumps. Sort of. I get goosebumps every time I hear it. It, it is yeah. great. And um, and also, I didn't like honestly wasn't aware even though i've you know listened been listening to this album for 40 years i know all the lyrics yeah. i never knew what the, that this song is about something kind of specific right that happened well i was gonna, i was looking I, I don't know you know because I, you can you know what it is someone's hiding under the floor and they're like they're not coming coming back up to say goodbye to all my friends right. and and, yeah. and you sort of thing like but it must have been maybe could have been a story in the newspaper at the time here's what I I found it was was a story that came out in the UK press a a little before Strawberries came out about a guy that had escaped from prison who was hiding out at Mm. his home and whenever anyone came to the house he would just disappear there was this hole under the floorboards where he would disappear under the sofa and the police had even come to search the house and they never because he was always just whenever anyone come he'd hide under there but Eventually, wow. his cover was eventually blown when one of his daughter's friends were visiting and she saw his face under the sofa and she told someone about uh, it. Yeah, so that's where that line is. Uh, who was the girl we saw last night? That, that That's what it's from, specifically from that story. Wow. That, that's that's great detective work, Rob. I must <laughs> thank say, you, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. No, I, no, I love no, finding please. out stuff like that, you know, years later, decades later, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but like you say, um, you know, the penultimate song on the album um, and a great almost album closer. But like you say, yeah, a great pop. Very 60s. Very 60s. Um, and, very and you know pop- what you were saying about the Friday the 13th, that they recovered the Stones Citadel from her, his, uh, his satanic uh, majesty's request. And you could, you could, you, you yeah. again, they're showing their influences and what's to come. And this is like what to came from, from something like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and you, yeah, um, and you can hear that again, and that, that's the great link, you know, the Friday the Thirteenth EP between the two albums. It was almost like, like I say, it was never an album, but it would have been. I, I guess it's kind of good that it was never an album, just four songs that linked eighty one to eighty and eighty two. It's it's just classic. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and it's also something. It's it's funny talking about EPs. Real quick, I'm going to take a quick side note because. Uh, another uh, mm. a fan of the show, a patron of the show, Corey Dubrawa, is actually working on a book, and the book is all about EPs over the decades and EPs that mm. have released that, that have been released over the uh, over the years. And he's going to get different people to write about different EPs, and that's why I, I know about it because he asked me. I'm, I'm going to write about uh, an, an EP, but that's yeah, EPs sort of hold a special place because there's something that's released and it's not an album. It's you know it's it's shorter, but yes, a lot of times they just have this special. There's just something special that comes out from a band that's sort of in between you know in between albums and just
is something uh, special. So, yeah, yeah that, that's that's cool. Excellent. That's I look forward to um, seeing what what your choice is. To be honest, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's going to be. Uh, it's not going to be out till next year, but uh, God willing, we'll all still be here, and then we can talk about it then. Um, all right, so we get Excellent. to the end of the album. Another Captain uh, song. Diddy, another super clever song. Obviously, also tied into what he was doing uh, his solo career and Happy Talk. And it's just, it's just a really fun, great album closer. Let's listen to. We could listen to the whole thing, actually. Most of it. Let's listen to. Don't bother me. I say hello. Don't think that I don't know you're listening to me, but please don't bother me. Don't bother me. Bought this thing so I will sing about that awful nuclear thing I hope won't bother me, won't bother me Your Rolling Stones and pop star clowns don't even wanna hear their moans I say don't bother me, don't bother me Those men of steel I really feel are quite extremely unreal I wish they'd all just fade away So here am I under the sky, can I ask you without a lighter Please don't bother me, don't bother me I'm in a hole just like a mole Don't give a toss, lady in the mink stole Don't bother me, don't bother me The people change, they rearrange But stay the same, it's awfully strange But they don't bother me, don't bother me Until the day their troubles stray Onto my patch like Tony Hatch's crossroads theme Please go away Go away Not interested I love that little raspberry does at the end and then not interested. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> well, it's funny because he's saying what what we were ta- what you were talking about is at the time during the Cold War and people and he says right in there he says you you uh, bought this thing so I would sing about that awful nuclear thing. Uh, I hope and then he yes, says yes. I hope <laughs> won't bother me. But uh yeah, that is, so he's talking about it. That's that's what was going on now and that's what but I love how he mentions the the stones, your rolling stones and pop star clones. I don't want to hear their moans. It's just it's great. It's it's, it's just a perfect song for him because it's just it's his personality, you know, and his attitude. I just think to be honest, you know, I've got to say in my heart of hearts, I think it's it's one of the weaker songs on the album and it's um it's a bit of a throwaway. It's a th- I've got to have Yeah, I see what you're saying. It is a throwaway in a way, but also I can't picture it not being the last song on the album just because I'm so used to it, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um there is a little story about the you know, the noise beforehand. I don't know if you know the story between that. It's pretty you know, Yeah, the, the sounds the, because clanging. Yeah, that sound because sometimes I think on later release of the album they expanded on that more, like it would come up more, that that little that little electronic y uh, sound. Uh, what it was, it was a toilet flushing. Oh. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, so I'll just give you the quote of what it was here from uh, Mr. Sensible, if I can just quote the yeah, book. Yeah. They had paid, basically, they had bets on who was doing what on the album. Like, someone would like, if they could sing a lyric in one go, they'd get £20. And it ended, and uh, it, it just, uh, I had another bet on with Rat, 10 or £20. And I said, if I can get a toilet flushing out on the album, and he said, you won't. And I said, I will. <laughs> it, ended up on a, it, it ended up as on the drum track of Don't Bother Me, we triggered it off, triggered it off the snare drum so it goes shh, shh, every time. And it was actually a toilet. I never got, I says, I never got the money off Rat, though. 
I don't know if Rat even knows that I got the toilet on strawberries. Oh God, that's so, so yeah, funny. It's a toilet flushing. <laughs> that's great. What a great that, that's so great. And let me I gotta ask you also, because at the end, like do you know I'm assuming this is a this is a very British uh thing he threw in there uh until I patch like a uh, Tony Hatch's crossroads theme. Uh yeah. that's what <laughs> That that was a soap opera, I think. So Tony Hatch was basically um, he used to write like uh, songs for, uh, I say songs, but that um, TV shows basically. Right. And Crossroads was, um, funnily enough, it was um, he used to be a like a, a TV show like Neighbours or something that was set in the Midlands um, in um, in the seventies, and it went on to about I think it's I think it finished about eighty five or something. But Tony Hatch, yeah, he was like, uh, he was just, um, yeah, he used to write the, the songs and the the, the 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 theme tunes to the actual Crossroads. And, okay, so that's probably uh, different... something someone in Britain, if they heard that, the the theme, the Crossroads theme, they would know what it is just because it's something that was around for so long. Yeah, until I patch the Tony Hatch Crossroads theme, please go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, anybody else apart from if you didn't live in the UK, you probably wouldn't have known. And even people picking this album up now wouldn't even know what that means, I guess. But uh, yeah, it used to be like uh, just a like a like neighbours. It was just uh, one of those, you know, every night six thirty on TV, and it was set in a motel, a crossroads motel. And um, yeah, that's what it was basically. It was <laughs> nice. um, very, very, you know, fairly low budget, and um, and uh, yeah. It was sort of like Tony Hatch, yeah. Right. He did a lot of other stuff as well, but um, yeah. But mainly, uh, <laughs> he did themes to programs. I figured it would be something, yeah, that you would uh, that you would have known about. Well, uh, so Mark, this was great. Like I said, I mean, I, I was uh, excited. I'm always excited when someone picks a record that that meant so much to me, and that I've listened to so much, yeah. And that uh, obviously Excellent. you appreciate. So, Mark, uh, I was, I know, I just brush off that that Mark played in the Jacobites, but uh, you did. Do, yeah. Do you do you still play at all anymore? Not really. Now I'm sort of in semi retirement. Really. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I guess, like, yeah. I mean, I'd like to, but um, I need to find the right band to uh, to play with. The stuff I'd like to sort of like, I play with other musicians would be like stuff along the lines of maybe, um, obviously, the Damned and a lot of the seventies punk influence stuff, but more the, you know, the high high end like rock and roll stuff, like uh, the Helicopters and stuff like that. Because that's uh, another another area of music like uh, I like a lot of lot of the Swedish you know the Swedish rock and roll stuff. Oh, okay. The high energy rock and roll like Lucifer and things like that. But I mean, my my options are you know um, uh, you know are open. I, I I like loads of stuff to be honest, and um, I just discovered a new band called Wet Leg, which are, which are great. Yes, um, yes, I have. I I, I know a have little you heard bit of about them. Uh, Yes. Do you want to review their album at some point? I'm sure some, some somebody will come on and, and want to do it with you. <laughs> but it's a fantastic record. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's their, it's their first album. And it's like one of those things where, you know, you think, well, it, where's music going and stuff? And um, it's great when you just dis- discover something and you sort of see lots of things in there, like Talking Heads, Buzzcocks, B-52s. But you see Bjork in there. Uh, you see, like, it just, it's like... But but not in the way that, that the band are copying that, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, but, no. But it like is good. 
And and yeah, that is I, I appreciate that too. I know you get uh, you get to be our age, you get kind of jaded about music, but it's nice to get surprised by something. You know, you hear something new and you say, "Oh, yeah, well, that's absolutely. actually really good." You know, and because uh, yes. yeah, there is obviously still good stuff being made, but also we could love uh, stuff released forty years ago that we're still in love with, and we could talk about it once in a while. It's no problem. Absolutely. <laughs> Always a pleasure. We had a little technical difficulties, but we uh, sussed yeah. it all out, as they say, and we got it fine. Um, thanks again, Mark. Don't forget, everyone, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high is a lot of fun. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. I don't know. Is anyone still on Twitter anymore? I don't know. But if you if you want, you can follow me there. Uh, you can email me at trgmh 33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, you want to become a patron of the show we just released a patron curated episode that song broke my heart oh great it was i think it's our best patron curated episode uh, yet it's really a lot of fun so don't forget uh you can go to patreon.com forward slash trjmh and become a patron of the show i would really appreciate it mark once again this was great uh i really appreciate you coming on i know uh i know we have to adjust timing and everything doing it but i think it all worked out great i really appreciate it really enjoyed it and uh Hello to everybody out there. and hope you uh, enjoyed um, us talking about strawberries. Yeah, they better. Actually, our Black Album episode is like one of our highest downloaded episodes ever. So this, I'm, expe- I'm expecting great things for this one as well. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Rob Elba. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>